Hey, everybody. Before we get into the episode proper this week, I have a couple of special announcements. Number one is we just started a Patreon. Go check it out at patreon.com slash one stop. We have three levels there. The first level is the co-op fan, which will get you eight geek gold to buy a one-stop co-op shop micro badge on BoardGameGeek, and also a thank you on air at the end of some of our podcast episodes. The second level is for the co-op lover. You get the same rewards as in the first tier, but you also get to vote on reviews, playthroughs, which characters Mike's going to play on the YouTube channel, that kind of thing. The last one is the co-op MVP, where you get all the rewards listed above, and you can either record an MP3 message of 10 seconds, or just tell us a message you want, and we will repeat that at the end of a podcast episode as well. So there's a couple different options for you. Also, when we reach $100 a month, Mike's going to record his top 20 solo games, and we'll put it on the YouTube channel, and we'll put an audio version of that on the podcast as well. All right, so the second bit of news this week, we're going to have a contest Yes, the Patreon is going to allow us to do things like contests. So the way the contest works is we want to get some feedback. As we approach episode 100, we want to figure out what you guys like, what you don't like, what you want us to change. So we are going to have a survey, which will be linked in the show notes, and we would like your feedback. Every piece of feedback is going to get you one contest entry. Limit one per person, of course. Also, if you join the Patreon, that is also going to get you a contest entry. So you can have up to two contest entries. So what can you win? Well, you can win a $50-ish prize of your choice. Now, if you want something that's like $57, bucks, we will we'll kick in the extra couple bucks and get you that as well. If you want something like Gloomhaven, that's fine. You could just send us the extra money to cover the difference, and we will buy you that as well. And this is not limited to the U.S., so anyone, anywhere, just tell us who your online retailer is. We'll buy it for you from them and get it sent to your house. So check out the survey. The link will be in the show notes. And check out our Patreon and that will also be in the show notes. Now, enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hey everybody, welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. This is Mike on my own today. Peter was not able to join us for this week's episode, but I have a really exciting guest joining me, Manny Trembley, who is one of the designers for Dice Throne, and especially exciting for me, the upcoming Dice Throne Adventure, the cooperative, fully cooperative, and soloable version of the Dice Throne game. Manny, thanks so much for making time to be on the podcast today. Oh, I'm happy to. I love doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, so I, uh, just to put it out there, I don't know if people on the podcast have heard me say this much because Dice Throne has been a competitive or team-based game up to this point, so I don't talk about it that much on our cooperative podcast, but Dice Throne is uh, one of my top games of recent memory. Uh, Dave from the Slack recommended it to me, so shout out Dave, thanks again for that recommendation. And I play it a lot, especially with my six-year-old son, it's his favorite game right now, so we'll just bust out, uh, especially the short game where you each have 30 health, we'll crank out uh, a couple of those every uh, couple of days or so. Uh, that's cool. He adores it. He, he he doesn't have the best strategy in the world, as you might imagine. He just goes for the ultimate <laughs> attack every time. <laughs> but, you just roll those dice. Kids oh, yeah. have no sense of dice math, so they don't care. They're just like, I'm hitting a large straight. And I'm like, well, son, that's actually, oh, you just did. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'll be like, well, daddy, I, I have one of the best symbols. What are the chances of me getting four more? I'm like, well, not very good. I'm going to roll four anyway. All right. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> His entire strategy is save up cards that let him change dice to whatever he wants and then get an ultimate. <laughs> that's all he does. That's a good plan. We're kind of jumping right into the Dice Throne stuff, but Manny, just to kind of get into your background a bit, um, I see that you are not only a co-designer on Dice Throne, but also the illustrator. And I have to say, you know, I'm a biased uh, person. I love the game, but I think the illustrations, the characters are beautifully illustrated and also have a ton of personality in them. And it's a really fun art style. So uh, I'd love to hear uh, both, you know, short stories about how you got into art and also how you got into game design and uh, graphic design for games. Yeah, no, of course. Um, I mean, I'm predominantly an illustrator first. Uh, both Nate and I worked in video game development, uh, app development. Uh, I worked for a video game company here in Spokane for a while. And then he and I worked at the same company uh, for a while. And we got laid off on the same day. Oh, that's a lovely thing to happen. <laughs> 
Yes, we got laid off uh, 1st of August 2016. And that was when, uh, that was the month Dice Throne was born. Because we were two unemployed dudes brainstorming something cool to do. And we had an app we were making and it kind of got it kind of got shut down a little bit by a publisher and we were like well what should we do and i think i remember saying today well why don't we just make it a board game and uh two days later he had the first playable prototype of dice throne so now that was august that was the middle of august 2016 we had never neither of us had ever made a board game before that moment nate is a programmer by trade he currently runs his own video game company and then i have done graphic design storyboards concept art all that kind of stuff for video games and animation prior to that so when we teamed up for dice throne it was kind of like well nate will be the lead designer we'll design all the heroes and build the game together do all the development play testing and then i'll just do all the art and graphic design so we we didn't quite realize that most people don't have the capacity to have just two people handle everything from start to finish, but we did. So that was kind of, there was a lot of ignorance that went into the very beginning of our game development career, and it actually kind of worked in our favor. I, I imagine that the background with video game development and app development gave you guys a pretty good insight into kind of user experience and basic game mechanics and that kind of stuff. Would you say that was true? Oh, yeah, I think for sure. I mean, I, I joke that we were just two bumbling idiots making a game, but the truth is, is we have done tons of game development and design. And when we went to go make the board game, our first objective was to make a game we thought was really fun. So Dice Throne is legitimately my favorite board game. I thought I, we looked through board games. Nate comes from co-op. Uh, he loves co-op games. He also loved Magic, and I played tabletop skirmish war games. And so we kind of took all the things we love from Magic and War Machine and 40K and Diablo, and we're like, what if we just cram all these things into one? And we use Yahtzee to fight each other. Yeah, so that does kind of lead into what Dice Throne is as a game. You know, it, it's a fairly newish game, although I think it, it has hit the market pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, could you describe for our co-op players who have never played this competitive game what Dice Throne is? You've mentioned Yahtzee and kind of the magic elements. Yep. So what's kind of like the main gameplay experience there? So obviously it is a dueling game. So anyone who's coming from the co-op world might immediately bristle and be like, ooh, that's not for me. So basically you get to you select your hero, your hero has abilities, it has a hero board, a deck of cards that are filled with actions and upgrades, you have your dice, you have health, and effects that you can inflict or gain. And I'm going to be leveling up. There's kind of like a soft RPG element to the game where I'm leveling up my hero over the course of this 20 minutes, all for the purposes of dueling. And the the casual nature of it, like some people maybe haven't played Yahtzee, they play King of Tokyo. King of Tokyo uses that same Yahtzee style mechanic. But when we, we started, we really wanted, and we kind of joked that we were going to make a casually competitive version of like magic or, you know, whatever. And I remember people, when we first told them that, they were like, yeah, those two things they're oil and water you can't make casual competitive games well i'm glad you set your sights so low for your yeah. first design you know like <laughs> really really easily achievable goals here yes yes we wanted to make a forever green game that is uh competitive with yahtzee and magic <laughs> And again, what's kind of funny is because we just we just didn't understand the board game industry at all. And so look, when we started, literally someone said, oh, that kind of reminds me of King of Tokyo. I was like, I don't know, what's that? And they're, they're like, oh. oh. So, oh yeah, it's interesting, yeah, because I, I would have first thought you were inspired by King of Tokyo more than Yahtzee, but you had not even heard of it when you came up with no, the initial design. No, 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 legitimately, we didn't know what King of Tokyo was. And what's funny is because King of Tokyo, when, once we learned, we went and played it and we went, oh. Yeah, I guess there's some similarities here for sure. <laughs> and we're like, it's way different. Our games is uh is more complex than King of Tokyo, but I really enjoy it. Like just this weekend, we played I don't know six games of King of Tokyo with my family, and it was a blast. But we wanted more, but I didn't want so much more that it was like magic because my wife will never play magic. She'll never play deck building games and you know games where she has to like strategize before she even gets to the table. Right, right. And so that's what is so appealing even to her and. I don't know how many times in my life I bought a game and I've lied to myself and been like, my wife will for sure play this game with me. And I validate the purchase, right? And then <laughs> sure enough, she tries it once and never does it again. Well, the nice thing for me is that all the games I buy are solo or co-op games. Yep. <laughs> so I can uh, I can lie to myself that way and then still have a game I can play afterwards. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. <laughs> I... I don't love King of Tokyo. Right. I like Yahtzee and some derivatives of Yahtzee, but what really makes Dice Throne sing for me 
besides the kind of uh, differentiated characters with these unique abilities and things and kind of a unique experience for each one is that uh, card play and card management. Right. I love that there's luck mitigation in there. I I like these kind of resource systems in general, but... How it works, for those not familiar, is uh, the cards in your hand can be discarded at the beginning of your turn during your main phase to give you more points for playing cards. So it's almost like the cards are both resources and uh, things you can play for effects. So I really like that kind of interplay of, oh, do I want to keep this card to maybe get into get it into play later, or do I want to discard it to let me play this uh, big upgrade do I even want that upgrade? Is it too late in the game? Am I not going to get much use out of it? I think there's a lot of cool decisions, but it's also a very simple game space. Like, again, I, I taught it to my six-year-old, and he's good to play the game without any advice on my part, whether or not he plays strategically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My, my seven- and nine-year-old, we play free-for-alls. We play team games. Um, they love it. Uh, my youngest son is the self-proclaimed Seraph Master from Season 2. But I love that he owns that hero. Like, in his mind, the Seraph is his. He's got the t-shirt, and it's super awesome. But I'd mentioned at the beginning, the, the big, new, exciting thing on the horizon. The Kickstarter is running currently as of this podcast airing, and it's doing fabulously. So congratulations, Manny, already. Y- y'all are chasing a million after just a couple of days, which is awesome. Yeah, it's incredible, to be totally honest. A lot of people, they'll run Kickstarters, and there's that whole, like, Oh, we're blown away. We can't believe we you guys did so much. And like genuinely, I just stare at my computer and I'm like, wow. We, we, Nate and I were reflecting yesterday on the fact that season one on uh, day two of the campaign, we hit sixteen thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. And we we posted an update that said, "Is this real life?" Exclamation mark! Exclamation <laughs> question mark! And then we're like, we're blown away, and we were legitimately blown away that people would give us any money at all. And then we went on to raise 180 or whatever it was for that first campaign. But the difference—it's so—it's so cool to watch as it grows over time. Yeah, and I think even uh, if people visit the Kickstarter page, they'll see this. I love that you have uh, quotes from fans of the game. I love that you have these big like group photos of people playing the game at cons. Yep, Uh, you've created this great community. Because I think, you know, the game with kind of its competitive nature, it seems like tournament friendly and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, would build that sort of thing. And I mean, I, I'm so psyched. <laughs> I can't tell you how excited I was. Like, I, I demanded to be the one to do this episode. <laughs> yeah, because again, I, the one negative for Dice Throw with me, the single negative, well, I won't say the single negative, but the, <laughs> the, the, the big thing is that my son doesn't like to lose because he's six and six-year-olds don't like to lose. And it, it's just a challenge to get him to accept that sometimes. So the idea that I can play where we're both fighting all against some boss and if we lose we lose together we hug it out and it's fine like that's just got me so excited yeah my kids actually love it we've been playing the co-op as well and uh we played uh my mom came into town and it was my mom both boys and lisa my wife and they played four person co-op and i just coached and like guided a little bit as they were going and it was so awesome to watch my mom and two little boys playing through the co-op and they're not trying to math anything out. They're not looking at dice odds. <laughs> they're just having a poot blast, you know, having a blast playing together. It was so cool. Yeah, that's that's great, man. I'm really excited. So let's dig into it a little bit. Clearly, Dice Thrones was designed as a fully competitive game, you know, with the team play option. I, I know Nate's kind of the main co-op guy, but how did you all get the idea to make it co-op? How did you kind of work around the challenge of... I mean, the big one for me is the game, the kind of the core gameplay loop is the push your luck nature of the Yahtzee dice rolling. Like, what do I want to go for? How did you build that into the AI? I mean, I guess that's a few questions at once, but yeah, co-op, co-op dice thrown. Why is this happening? What's it adding? What do you think? Sure, let's, let's discuss. So back, I mean, almost probably more than two years ago, Nate expressed his desire to build a co-op version of Dice Throne. And we kind of, we kicked it around. It was This was before season two. I remember there were times, even like, I think there might've been some interviews or like people at conventions would ask us. And Nate was like, yeah, I'm making a co-op version of this game. And when we sat down to really start discussing it, some problems came up, of course, because it is a dueling game by its very nature. So, and design, right? It was intended to be a dueling game. So how do you take a dueling game and not make anything irrelevant? Because that was a key aspect to it. You can't be like, all right, well, now the Shadow Thief's worthless because he's in the co-op, right? You can't be like, oh, the Moon Elf is garbage now. Her ability doesn't work or this. So one of the very first things we talked about was, I think I remember saying it, nothing can be invalidated in the co-op. And he was like, we could do it. We got this. And to be totally honest, I didn't love the idea of a co-op when we first started. I am a dueler at heart. I love 
one-on-one fighting games. And I enjoy co-ops, but someone else has to drag me into a co-op to get me to play it. So I'll do them, and they're fun, and I'm the dude who loves to, you know, Leroy into the middle of a band of goblins and fight my way out of nothing, right? But I remember, like, even thinking to myself, because there's boss battles in here as well, and I remember thinking, oh, well, I'm going to enjoy the boss battle part more than the the dungeon crawl and the, the cooperative nature. But as Nate developed the AI system for the minions, for the bosses, for the randomization of world building, randomization of loot acquisition, it started to really gel together. And we work really well together. Nate's a math guy at heart, and I'm a feelings person. So my question is, or my statement often will be is, well, it doesn't feel right. And then he's often like, well, tell me what, 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 what has to change. And I'm like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. Oftentimes that'll lead to, you know, the fun arguments between friends and designers. We were like, well, you, you can't just tell me it doesn't feel right. You got to tell me how to fix it. And I'm like, I don't know how to fix it. But he's so good at the mechanics and the, the, the programming under the hood of a game that he was able to craft and shape this entire game system um, from the ground up. And it was, it was really, really beautiful. Yeah, that sounds a lot like the dynamic between uh, Peter and I and our co- co-design work. I'm definitely the math guy. I guess I'm I'm the Nate in the group, <laughs> and he's uh, he's very much the this this sucks. <laughs> I didn't have fun, <laughs> so yeah, I get that completely. That's really cool. You already mentioned kind of that there is an AI that the enemy is making some choices. So g- give us an insight. I assume it's probably a little different for bosses versus minions, but uh, what kind of stuff is going on there? Right. Okay. So the first thing, obviously, we wanted this to have I don't know a roguelike quality where when you sit down, you're gonna first there's decks. There's a level one, two, three, and four deck. And these are dungeon layouts. They're world layout cards. So I'm going to randomize, shuffle, pull one. It'll tell me how to build the first level of the game, which will use level one, two, and three tiles with treasure tiles and a boss tile that will then be shuffled into that group into the level threes. And then you'll build a map. And now we're going to explore. In the exploration phase, you're going to you're going to move and you can move as far as you want in the world until you either hit an undiscovered environment tile and then you have to flip it or you've come to a tile where someone else is engaged with a minion or a monster. When you get to the tile where there's a minion, then you're going to randomize from a deck of level one, two, and three minions. And so there's layers and layers and layers of randomization. And then as you're going, you're discovering loot. And we have uh, came up with a loot system where there's a loot table and I roll a d20. And the d20 allows me to gain anything from attack modifiers to new for health, cards, resources, uh, gold, or uh, undiscovered or unknown, unidentified loot cards, which is a key element to the game, because that's how you're leveling up your hero is through your deck. So when you discover a minion, it'll give you all the information like his health, his CP, his attack ability, his defense ability, and then it will tell you his AI role type objective. So you might discover... uh, a but we'll call it a, a chaos elf when you get to the elf he's going to say roll type straights so now you he takes three rolls so like if you and i were playing it's just two two of us if i'm being attacked you're going to roll the dice for the chaos elf and you're going to roll it once you're going to keep anything that would create a straight for the elf and then you re-roll everything else you keep anything that continues the straight and then you get the third roll. And by the third roll, we can now mess with his dice, play wilds, tippets, all the kind of cards you're accustomed to. And if we can't do that, then he hits us with six damage and entangle or whatever. Um, then I get my defense and we're going to go back and forth like that. So the AI system of them tells you what to do, how to roll the dice, and what you should try to accomplish. That sounds great. Very straightforward. I imagine very quick, even for uh, casual gamers. Nice. So now the bosses, however, have a slightly different setup. They have a full hero board with a deck of cards. They have they use the chaos dice, which are the Mad King's uh, world dice. They have their own status effects. They have their own CP meter and health meter, everything. So when we find him, you use the CP that the world has been collecting for them over the course of the game. So the the boss could have 36 CP by the time you find him. <laughs> Jeez. And that's a bad thing. You don't want the boss to have 36 CP. So, so that's a kind of a natural timer for the game. Like, get, find the boss as quickly as possible so you're not facing some ultra-powered up monster. Right, right. But they are a monster. And even when they're lightly less less powered, they're still monstrous. So then you, you uh, take the upgrade deck, you'll shuffle it, and then 
you use all that use as much CP as you need to to go through their entire upgrade deck, selling and playing cards. So they have a level one and two upgrade for every ability on the board. And sometimes you get to the end and he's fully upgraded to level three in every way, shape, and form. And sometimes he's still got like eight or ten CP left, which is pretty epic. But then they just have a, a deck of action cards left. And so when they take their turn, they gain one CP and they draw one card. And that card might be an attack modifier. So you'll hold on to it because they'll only use it if they're going to attack. But at the bottom of the card, it will tell you the AI type role. Could be straights, it could be sixes, it could be one of the abilities on the board is their objective. Oh, nice. So so you get a card that will modify their turn, but also it randomly determines the AI objective, unlike the minions who are consistent, always the same thing. Correct, yes. Very cool, very cool. So now you get to roll, and let's say you need effectively, you know, two vortexes, a six, and two slashes, you know. So you're going to roll, and if any of those land, you keep them, and you continue rolling for the boss until you either hit that ability or you don't with three rolls. At the end, if you didn't roll the ability specifically, you're now going to check his board because they're a priority. So let's say you didn't hit the small straight, but instead you just rolled enough slashes to him for him to do a basic attack. So now you're going to check, he'll do the basic attack, and he hits you for 11, or whatever it is. So they can still activate something on their board. One of the key elements to them are things called the King's Hand tokens. And King's Hand are effectively cheat tokens. So they get X number to start the game, and they can use them one of two ways. They can either use it if they fail their turn and activate no ability. They toss a die, and if they get a 5 or 6, they get to retake their offensive roll phase. Or, if you hit an ultimate, they try to cheat, and they spend a King's Hand, roll a die, on a 5-6, you get a helping hand and have to re-roll one of your ultimate dice. So they have like little, you know, cheat mechanics basically built into them as well. So let's say, you know, it was attack modifier that would add damage. So I successfully did 11. He spends the CP with the at, with the attack modifying card, puts in discard pile, adds the effects, does damage to me, I get my defense, and we're going back and forth. Cool. Now that, that gives a great uh, idea of kind of the core gameplay. Now how about the, uh, the exploration element? What's happening when I'm coming to these unexplored tiles and flipping them is that is it just minions or are there other effects i might encounter as well there's all kinds of stuff so you'll flip a tile and there will be good for you bad for you and good for the boss so effectively if i were you know if you're looking at a tile in the top left there might be a gold symbol so sweet you guys get gold and the one key element to the game and this is great for co-op people is all gold is accumulative for the group so if we accumulate 60 gold let's say over the course of the game you get 60 i get 60 we're not having to like figure out who gets how much and how to share it there's no like Ooh, but I want the boots. You have them. And <laughs> right. You, when we go shopping at the end, the shopkeeper gives you four cards to look at and me four cards to look at. And therefore, that's what I get to shop from. You get to shop from yours. So there's not a lot of infighting while you're going along in the co-op. You're not worrying about, oh, man, I didn't get the gold. You know, like I remember this is tangent, but I remember playing Gloomhaven for the first time. And, and someone told me that I was like, so can I go get this gold? And they're like, oh, yeah, you can go get that or you could help me fight. And I'm like, but that's how I get gold, right? I go get it. Like, yeah, I'm gonna go get the gold then. See you later. And I remember feeling like that 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 wasn't that wasn't fun. I didn't like that. We we just had a big discussion in the Slack and whether some people were saying Gloomhaven is not even a co-op game that it's a semi-co-op game, which I don't agree <laughs> with. There, I think it has semi-co-op elements, but yeah, it's, yes. it's definitely a game that encourages you to be a jerk to your group sometimes. It can. So one of the things we because Dice Throne is so casual as a base game, and it encourages my mom to play. If I'm gonna play the co-op, I do not want a situation where I'm like, sorry, mom, forget you. I'm going to do what I want, right? <laughs> that just feels that feels wrong within the Dice Throne ecosystem, within the fan base. I'm sure there will be plenty of people out there that homebrew their own stuff and come up with jerk ways to screw each other over, but they could do that. I don't care, but... <laughs> That's not the base game. So that was a tangent. I'm sorry. What was I saying? I was saying <laughs> about the uh, environment tiles and getting gold and positive and negative effects. So I can gain gold. I can gain CP when I flip the tile. And when I flip a tile, and I'm the barbarian because I love my barb. When I flip that tile, everything on the tile happens to me. So if it says on the bottom, you know, uh, gain blind. Well, I'm the one that gets blind because I walked into the solarium and it's it blinded me, right? Sure, sure. And then on the top right, it'll say boss plus two CP. So that's when I take the boss's. CP. CP dial and I up it by two. And then it might also have a green, blue, or purple monster skull. And that'll tell you whether to spawn a green, blue, or purple, level one, two, or three. And some tile effects affect everyone, and some are only for you. 
and some will even give you greed options. It'll be like, gain a level 1 treasure. Or, alternatively, you can gain a level 2 treasure, but spawn a level 1 monster. So, do you want the better treasure and fight something, or do you want the lesser treasure and not fight something? So, there's plenty of those, and both Nate and I both love the greed element of games like this, where you're like, oh, do we push our luck? Should we liter- Should we go scour the dungeon over here to the left? Because if we do, we might die, but... We're going to get more gold on the way. So, you know, there's that Diablo-esque element of how hardcore do you want to grind through a dungeon? That sounds great. Now, this does bring up, uh, you've mentioned the loot. So is all loot an addition to your deck that is shuffled? Or are there some things that are kind of... Like if you get, for example, you mentioned boots from the shop, do those uh, kind of like sit next to your character and they're a permanent upgrade in some way, or is it all just uh, card based? Right. So it's all card based. So all cards you gain from the shopkeeper or find in the world, they're going to go into your deck. So you still have to draw them, pay the CP, and then activate them or put them in put them in play, like boots, right? Every hero will have two equipment slots. So if you pull the boots early in the game, uh, let's say like the elven boots that could give you evasive. So if you pull those, then you might socket them in or put them on, but now you have one equipment slot left in case you pull the armor or whatever later, or an amulet or something like that. But the cards are marked. They have like a, a border, a unique border f- for... Uh, different types of rare, epic, legendary loot. So those cards, if they have the same name, like uh, Vegas Baby is an example. So that's a card in the game, in the dueling game. But you can get an upgraded version of that. And the upgraded version will have a like this gem border around the outside. But a deck can only have one of a named card in the deck. So therefore, you take the new one, you'd either put it in the sleeve with the old one, or you take the old one out and put the new one in or whatever, however you want to manage your hand. But your deck can only have a maximum of 50 cards. And now one might think that that would create deck bloat and be a problem. But all loot cards can be discarded at any time and draw a fresh card. Oh, great. I was literally just about to ask you. I was like, wait, what if I get like a ton of, you know, level one crappy boots and I can't equip them all? <laughs> so that, that's awesome. That's awesome. Nice exactly. We, we thought through that exact, that exact situation. The Dice Throne is a card game. So card draw is important. Being able to find the right cards when you want is important. So yeah, all loot cards are effectively uh, discardable and you just draw fresh cards. So there's never... There's, no matter how big your deck is, there's never deck bloat. I love it. I love it. This does mean none of the... Because uh, in, in regular Dice Throne, characters already have their inherent upgrades that are unique to them. So the loot, though, will be one size fits all. Like, I guess maybe some heroes will like it more than others, but like anybody can use this sword, anybody can use those boots. Right, exactly. So like there's a coin purse, right? You can get a coin purse. The coin purse allows you to gain two CP during your up your income phase. Well, that's awesome for anyone, but the Shadow Thief would really, really love that. Now, is there any mechanic for, like, at the end, after we've beaten the boss, for trading loot between people? Or is it just, uh, you hope that the Shadow Thief is the one who happened to get that coin purse? Well, yeah, I mean, again, kind of like Dice Throne, like, what do you do with what you have? That's that's one of the key elements to the to the Dice Throne, is, like, we're not playing Magic. This isn't Pokemon, where the object of Pokemon is to figure out how to cull your entire deck to get all your power cards and win the game. Dice Throne is really about... You have this number of cards. How are you going to play and accomplish your end result? So it's the same here with the loot. Do I want to get the prophetic orb, which allows me to draw two cards every turn and pick which one I want and put the other one back? Of course I do. But am I going to get that every game? I might not. So can I build? I'm not going to build my entire campaign strategy on that one card. Yeah, I like that. I think that, especially with you describing the game as a roguelike, having that variety and forcing you to play with maybe suboptimal things that don't necessarily match you perfectly, I, I think that's a good aspect. Right. But there's only so many knobs in Dice Throne, right? You got health, you got CP, you got upgrades, you have dice fixing, opponent dice fixing. And so, like, we built the loot around that, that principle. Like, it's an upgraded twice as wild. Like, if you get a legendary twice as wild, it costs, like, zero CP. So, upgraded twice as wild is epic. Like, that, that feels amazing to have that in your deck. And there's a, one of my favorite cards is the Recall Scroll, which lets me take any card out of my discard pile and put it back into my hand. That's amazing. Like, I wish a hero had that, but it would probably be too strong in just a one-on-one game, because you shouldn't have access to your wild cards over and over and over again, right? Yeah, it does bring up, I I suppose that if 
two heroes had comparable loot, you could theoretically take them into battle against each other with those upgraded decks, right? Oh, sure. Sure you could. I mean, like, I I imagine a world where people will definitely uh, homebrew the idea of, okay, let's random draw different loot cards out of each type and put them in our deck and then let's fight, right? Yeah, no, I I think those are fun possibilities, definitely. Yeah, that sounds super fun to me. But I'm actually, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to most is... There's only so much we can do to to put in a game. As as a game designer, you understand that as well. We can't put everything. We can't take five years. Well, we could have wanted, I guess. But we're not going to take five years to try to think through every permutation of a game just so we can put it in to cover all possible versions that you as a fan might play. Yeah, totally. I mean... I know people want us to sometimes, but I think I think honing your design to exactly the game that you think you want or that you think people want is certainly a good school skill to have. Right. And uh, like I said earlier, I mean, Nate and I built the game for us. He built the co-op for him. And I love the co-op. Like I think it's fascinating because because I come from the dueling school, I often dismiss co-ops for that very reason. But Dice Throne is fully Dice Throne and fully co-op. You feel like you're playing Dice Throne, but you're doing it together. We all lay our cards on the table. I can see yours. You can see mine. I'm like, oh man, you got to prevent six. All right, I'm going to go big here. I'm going to try to see if I can take this dude. You got my back. Can you help keep me alive if I need to? And you're like, oh man, I got you. We'll do this. Or I got my wild, or like, oh, we got to save our wilds and try to get this boss, but then, oh no, some minion comes along and steals cards from us, or whatever. So, so that leads directly into my next question. I would assume, well, I guess I don't want to assume, but are the boss fights, like, all players involved, or is it one versus the boss, but you, like, take turns fighting him? How, how does that work? Right, so everything in Dice Throne alternates. So my turn, I find a minion... I battle the I you know I take a turn against the minion the minion attacks me back now it's your turn you can join me and then you'll go through a dice thrown turn with the minion back and forth once oh okay so like literally me doing my three dice rolls that's it I don't keep fighting that minion until they're dead that's good because I was I was <laughs> I mean I'm sure you all already thought of this I was like oh man I hope it's not like crazy downtime like hey wa- watch watch me roll for fifty turns <laughs> no no not at all so when you get to the boss it's the same thing right I get my turn and we're all on the edge of our seat because the boss like yesterday we were playing and like one of the bosses like all right here's eighteen damage right boom you're taking eighteen to the face. Well, can we can we save each other? Because we were playing three player, and you start the game with twenty health, so you don't have a lot of health in this game. So if you're not going to play together and play as a team, you're probably going to get rolled by these bosses because they they hit hard. Is that the primary player count balance? Uh, different starting health values. Yeah, so different starting health values that uh, directly affects the bosses' health, cheat tokens, and uh, their CP levels or whatever. So that's the primary mechanic that's used for the scaling purposes sounds great sounds great can you play it uh true solo can i take a single character in or are you always looking at at least two characters playing so you can definitely play the poor man solo right where you just take two heroes of whatever you want and then you could play it but i have played through a solo variant now twice or three times this last week and it was thoroughly enjoyable Again, I'm not a solo gamer, but I was really intrigued by how interesting it was to play the game just by myself. And it has its own unique rule setup. Like there's there's very specific things that happen. So it's not literally just play the game as one person and just lower the health or raise the health or do whatever. But it has its own very unique setup and how the game is built, how the levels are built, how your hero plays, how your hero interacts with the world is a little bit different. So, but it still plays like Dice Throne, right? But now you have to roll against yourself, I guess, when you're minions and bosses. Be, be kind to yourself. <laughs> yes, yes. Cool. What well, one final thing on the kind of whole co-op experience is the is the base way you play the game that all players lose if one player is defeated, or is that a variant and like one person getting knocked out and you can still try to finish off the boss? Yeah, you could totally like uh, one person has to survive the dungeon, and uh, that by surviving that also means double knockout, right? So if you go down swinging and you take the boss with you, then you guys win. That's awesome. <laughs> I love yeah. that. So, so it was. Uh, it's funny because it wasn't that way a little while ago when we were play testing. That one of them had to survive, so double knockout meant loss, which was fun. I actually liked it because it made it a little bit more hardcore. But we ended up realizing it was more fun for the players 
that if you get the double knockout at the end, you still win and you get your gold and you get to move on. Now, can you, is it a full experience to just play a single boss or are you always expected to move on? And how does it work? Do you fight all the bosses and end with the Mad King or can you do like shorter versions of that? The, The objective of the game is to get through four levels and find the Mad King. And the Mad King is always the fourth boss. So the first three, there's only three other bosses. So you're going to fight all three of the other bosses. And so like you'll play through the first session. Let's say you find the Fallen Barbarian. So now we're going to battle him. If we lose, we lose half our gold and we have to start over on level one. And that Fallen Barbarian goes back into the shuffle in terms of you could fight him again. You don't know. So then once you defeat him, then you would set him aside. And now it's one of the other two that you're going to fight for the next level. And then the third one, it'll be obviously the third boss. And then the fourth level is for sure the the Mad King. And so obviously the the question that's come up quite a bit on the Kickstarter is, well, we want more bosses. And they're like, well, so do we. So, but right now, I view Dice Throne Adventure as kind of like, it's, it's this is ground floor for the co-op. There's no reason from here we can't have like the Scorched Earth expansion, the, you know, the, the Frozen Throne expansion, the... You know, pick your Diablo style, the theme, and be like, and now there's a new boss, and now there's new minions, and new environment tiles, and new loot, and new scenarios, or new expansion, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, also, I I mean, I, I again, I'm biased. I really like the core Dice Throne experience, but it's not like I feel bored if me and my son play the exact same heroes against each other three games in a row. So yeah, I, I don't. I I mean personally, I, I I'm not saying these backers shouldn't say what they have to say, but personally, I don't feel like I would have a problem like playing against the barbarian again or playing against the, uh, you know, the 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 cursed monk again. Yeah, no, I I actually thoroughly enjoy it. I mean, I'm I have played countless versions of the co-op now, and I still have fun every time I sit down, even if I know that fallen barbarian's coming or that fallen gunslinger. Like I'm like, oh man. I don't I like I have a thing against the fallen gunslinger. I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> and so when the fallen gunslinger gets pulled, I'm like, ah, oh, it's fallen gunslinger again. Oh, we're gonna get him though. He's not gonna he's not gonna reload into our face a thousand times this time. <laughs> and you know, and then when you beat him, it feels to me it feels just as gratifying. And I think you 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 I think you hit on the right the right point is Dice Throne to me is super fun to repeat. I love playing it over and over. It's kind of like when I played Soul Calibur. I played a lot of Soul Calibur in the day. Oh man, I used to love Soul Calibur back in the day. <laughs> right. Right. So I played a ton of that game. And how many times did I play Sophisha? A lot. And how many times did I play against Sungmina? A lot. And I didn't care. Because really it was the people I was playing with. It was the visceral experience of it. And I think that's really the that's really our goal is to capture that feeling of, man, this would be so fun to go again through this dungeon. And one of the things um, that we didn't talk about it yet, but when you beat the whole game the first time, there is a legacy element to the game. So you defeat the whole you defeat the bad king, there's gonna be hidden elements in the box. And when you win the first game, you get to open these. And now you get to add things and do things and expand your your game experience. And then when you beat it, theoretically, we're still developing this, but theoretically, when you beat it a second time, there's another hidden element to the game. Oh, my gosh. So you're really, I mean, again, I know this is one of your major inspirations. That really makes you think of Diablo and kind of replaying on, you know, hell mode and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so I think it's, we love the idea. And what I like is that the second playthrough, you don't have to play the same hero. Like, you get all the benefits of playing through, of winning the first one in the second playthrough. But if I played Barbarian for the first, you know, four sessions or four camp, full campaign, I can now be like, oh, man, I want to switch up and play Artificer now. And now I get cool new benefits because I'm playing Artificer because, you know, we're in the, the next session of the game. So it, it definitely encourages, I think it encourages replayability. Yeah, I think that's really exciting. What's your playtime been like for, you know, regular, like, three or four player a game like how long does it usually take to do one of those four levels in a campaign so this is it's funny because it it varies pretty widely at the moment and i think that's part of our development process to figure out where where is our true sweet spot but we are saying that a session should take about 90 minutes so i have played just over an hour and i've played two and a half hour sessions so because of the the randomized nature of the game you could pull an environment tile layout that has three branching pathways and the boss could be at any one of the end of those three branches. We could go six tiles and find him within like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. 
Or you could miss on the first, the second, and oh man, oh crap, we got to go all the way through the third branch just to find the boss. And so what often, you know, the last, I remember we did that previously and we're like you know what let's just grind we're gonna get all the gold we're gonna defeat all the minions we're gonna grind if when we find them if we're healthy we'll fight them but otherwise we're just going let's just let's get lots of loot and then you because you can flee the dungeon when you find the boss so when you get all the way to the end and you find him you find the fallen barbarian you're at one health and i'm at three and we're like yeah this isn't happening (laughs) we can basically take our gold and run away and then we get to go shopping but we have to replay session one again so it, it really, I mean, it, it almost is that video game experience of like, you, if you play enough, you will always get to the Mad King and beat him. It just might take you making your character super awesome before you can do it. Yeah. I mean, and Nate and I, we're obviously seasoned Dice Throne players. We have played, I mean, I, I want to say that I've logged 5,000 games of Dice Throne over three years. Um, and I still, like, if you were like, hey, you want to play Dice Throne right now? I'd be like, yeah, I want to play Dice Throne. <laughs> That's great, man. And so I can play five games of dice thrown in an hour and that's a lot most players can't do that but that's not because the game can't be played quickly it's that most people don't understand it well enough yet to be able to play that quick so the co-op also is affected there when nate and i are playing the co-op together of course we play it faster than other people but when i watch the beta like right now there's a beta test going on on tabletop simulator and as soon as i'm done talking to you i'm going to go join them and watch them play and study and watch what they're doing but the other night they took two plus hours to go through a medium-sized dungeon and then you know they still fought the boss and it was intense and epic to watch so i think as long as it's engaging i think two hours is fine but i do think we have to be a little bit careful and make sure we're taking into account the the randomized scaling of the game yeah i mean that again makes me think of exactly of us i (laughs) peter makes fun of me for playing games way too fast compared to other people so our first published design, Salvation Road, I would play a game in like 20 minutes. And so Peter was like, oh, so maybe it's a 45-minute game. And then, you know, after when went, went out into the wild, it was like an hour and a half to two hours for <laughs> any kind of normal group to play. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, good on you. You're clearly going to do all your due diligence and check with, uh, you know, blind playtesters and see how it goes. So that, that's great. But you also can't accommodate, like, uh, people love to play, like, one guy told me he played a 6v6 game with Dice Throne, and I kind of shook my head, and I was like, that's epic and amazing, and I won't ever play that. And But they had a blast. They had a total hoot. So I guarantee people are going to spend a whole evening playing one of these sessions, and as long as they have fun, awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. All right, so uh, this is not necessarily directly connected to the Dice Throne Adventure co-op experience, but it's part of the Kickstarter you have two new heroes coming. I love the the difference in all the heroes. Uh, so I think it's the Treant and the Ninja. Yes. And and my yes. my son has a <laughs> he's just started exploring a bit of Naruto, the uh, Japanese anime show. Ooh, so he's like ninja, nice. ninja. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, I I know I, I haven't seen updates that reveal a lot about these characters. So I don't know how much you want to talk about, but how much can you share of kind of their uh, their core uniqueness or what like their their fun special thing yeah yeah we've actually they were uh beta tested at pack south in january uh we've brought them to conventions that people played they were at dice throne con uh, i don't know if you know but we have our own convention that we run in in spokane oh that's amazing <laughs> yeah yeah it was super awesome we had like 130 people come this last uh february or march i think it was february in snowy spokane in february and uh so we had a debt table set up people could play it so one of the, uh, and I, I would imagine as a game designer, you get this, is that there's a design creep over time where because I play the game, I want it to get more complex every time I design anything for it. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah, we, we, could, we could have a whole podcast just about that. How we're like, <laughs> yeah, we just, we add ornateness onto the game and we're like, man, I'm bored with the game. Let's make it yes. twice as hard. And then we realize no one can beat yes. it except us. No, yes. I mean, absolutely. So the the nature of all, all our hero design is that Nate and I want him to be harder and harder to master and play. But we have a growing audience of what we lovingly call kitchen table gamers. The people who just love to play games at their house with their friends. You know, they're not competitive. They're not going to play tournaments. They just love to roll dice and have fun and drink beer and eat chips, you know. And so the ninja was created to be a, a level one or two hero, like on par with Barbarian or Moon Elf in complexity. So she's got smoke bomb. She's got uh, ninjutsu tokens. She has poison. 
Um, she's got really fun, uh, unique abilities. She's fast, hits hard, gets out of there kind of thing. And then the Treant is a more complex hero. Now, the Treant was a hero voted on by fans. Uh, we did a fan hero uh, contest during Season 2. And so fans could submit heroes. We then created a poll. And the Treant was the winner. So Kevin Nguyen is one of the fans, and he got to co-design the Treant with us. And so the Treant has companions. It has saplings, seedlings, and dryads. And so those different things, they can the Treant can use them, spend them, uh, multiples. He grows them on his board from seedling to sapling, saplings to dryads. And dryads are obviously more powerful than the seedlings and saplings, but sometimes you want to keep lots of those little guys on your board to, to help you out. So the the treant definitely has has some two unique effects. Uh, has one called barbed vine, which is a new status effect in the game. So if I put barbed vine on you, it means you have to spend one health for every reroll you take past your first one. So and that even includes one more times and try try again and helping hand. So any any roll you take of your dice deals a damage to you. So. And then it goes away, of course. It's only a one round or one turn. So anyway, so yeah, that kind of gives you uh, a sense. So they are they are the lost heroes of Season 1. And originally, this campaign was going to have Season 3 heroes and the co-op. But that got really large. I mean, And then we got to a point where, I mean, sales have been going so well that we ended up selling out of Season 1 as it currently looks. And we're like, oh no, people can't buy Season 1 during this campaign. <laughs> What do we do? And so we kind of pushed a little harder to get season one re-rolled, uh, ready to go for this campaign. And people love that eight hero battle chest. And we're like, oh man, there's only six heroes. If you, all you do is season one, let's add. Let's we're gonna release these two as the lost heroes. And I, I think it, it it'll feel really nice in the box. That's cool. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely in the camp of uh, I'm trying to decide if I do like opaque sleeves and just keep my season one, or do I go for the rerolled? So, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and obviously, I mean, Roxley Roxley doesn't do exclusivity in their Kickstarters. Um, they give you a discount, they give you bundles, they give you some bonuses, whatever. But you'll be able. To, everyone can get stuff on our store afterwards for pre-order or for later. Um, and we, people might get tired of us saying this over and over again, but we truly believe season one as it exists is legit. It's just fine. Like, yeah, it looks different. It, it doesn't. I think season two looks amazing. The rerolled looks amazing. Um, but I love my season one and I love my heroes in it and I feel great about playing them. So I always tell people, listen, you don't need to buy the re the remaster, you know? And I think it's important in my, in, in my opinion, it feels, it feels like a car salesman almost where I want to be the good car salesman who's like, listen, dude, you don't need this car. <laughs> that might mean I make less money, but right, right. in the end, I would rather <laughs> feel good about saying, you know what? You don't, you don't need this. Um, you might want it and that's awesome. And I'm glad you do, but you know, make sure you make good choices and smart choices about what you're buying. And you know, no, that I appreciate kind of that. Because I, I know it's, it's, it's a tough position to be in. You want to have the best product and season two clearly had, beautiful packaging and like the fold out boards and all that stuff. And season one works fine. Like you said, but I, I can see the, why not have, if you're doing a new printing anyway, why not have the best, the most beautiful version of season one possible? Right. Right. And Roxley really, I mean, they all their product is gorgeous. I mean, they make, they make nothing but high quality games. And that was part of why we partnered with them. Yeah. I, I, I've never gotten to talk about them before because I don't think they have any co-op games, but I'm a big fan of super motherhood. I'm a big fan of uh steampunk rally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they, they, they do good stuff. I just <laughs> don't get to brag about them. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would be remiss to not mention Gavin Brown. Cause he's a, he is the, the brains and the, the life energy of Roxley and he has elevated dice throne to such an incredible level well beyond what Nate and I even imagined. And a lot of people they're like, well, Manny's the one who comments on Facebook and Nate's the lead designer and Gavin's the publisher, right? Well, he's more than the publisher. Like he is a, he's become a friend through all this, a close friend, but I think on top of it, he loves dice throne and he wants it to be the best gaming experience possible. And co-op and like he's got he has vision for the future of this game as well oh man i i'm speaking of the future i'm just so excited and by the way for all those podcast listeners i should be getting a demo of the game very soon after you're hearing this so 
check the YouTube channel and Facebook and Slack and anywhere we talk because I, I will not be able to not talk about it the second I play it. I'll <laughs> definitely be doing uh, videos for everybody very soon. All right, uh, Manny, thank you so much for making time. I mean, I, everyone can tell. Maybe it was bad I did this episode by myself because all I am is excitement. I'm, like, oozing it right now. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Kickstarter page looks amazing. The product looks amazing. Uh, talking to you, I'm really excited about the the core gameplay experience and it being Dice Throne, but also being this new, exciting, kind of Diablo-esque, roguelike thing. Yeah, it just sound, sounds like it's going to be a hit, and clearly you're making a ton of money with it, and, and good on you. You deserve it. Manny, anywhere you want uh, people to kind of find you online, check you out if they want to let you know what they think about the game, besides the Kickstarter page? Honestly, we're really, really active on our Facebook page, and I know some people think Facebook's the devil, and it probably is. But our community is super active on Dice Throne Community. If, so if you go search for Dice Throne Community, you'll find it on Facebook, and there's 5,000 people there, and... It's a super, it's a super great place, and I'm on there all the time, responding, replying, uh, talking to people, and obviously, you know, people go to dta.dicethrone.com right now. They're going to get to our Kickstarter. All right, well, everyone, go check out Dice Throne Adventures. We'll have video content for it soon. And Manny, best of luck to you. Uh, clearly, you're doing awesome, so keep up the good work. And I am incredibly stoked to see what other design stuff you have in the future. Awesome, thanks. All right, have a good one. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another top five list. Out of the ruins of games about zombies, can't make the same mistake this time. We are the gamers who love Mad Max and Fallout. We are the ones they left behind. We just want a great game that feels fun and fast, fast. For solo or co-op, we want to have a blast. We just need a few more backers. We just need to find that way home. Then we all can have fun playing Salvation Road. We have found someone we can rely on. We have the greatest fans out there. Love and compassion are all around us. Our backers rock the most, I swear. And they want a great game that feels fun and fast, fast. For solo or co-op, they want to have a blast. We just need a few more backers. We just need to find that way home. That we all can have fun playing Salvation Road. Thanks, guys.